This week on the podcast, we discuss the tribunal circus following Toby Green and Tom Hawkins, rate the seasons of last week's losers and touch on Luke Hodge, while Christian from Champion Data breaks down this weekend's prelims. You're listening to the ESPN Footy Tips AFL Podcast. Yes, hello everybody. Welcome to another week of the ESPN Footy Tips AFL Podcast. It's preliminary final week. My name is Matt Walsh. I'm back in the host chair this week after a couple of weeks of Neil Seawang filling in beautifully. Thank you very much, Neil. I certainly wouldn't call it a beautiful feeling. I, I uh, wasn't a natural host like yourself, but I was jealous of your European adventures, mate. <laughs> yeah, Welcome I, back. Heard a couple of drive-bys on the, uh, the two episodes that I was away when I was driving through the Austrian Alps. Uh, Jake? How anything you doing? to anything to say for a couple of those little kicks well, up the bum? It seems like you've had quite a few bottles of wine on your journey. <laughs> How many, you reckon? He was in wine country, weren't you? In in the in yeah, in, in Beaujolais. Uh, some nice wines out that way in, in rural France. Stayed in a lovely little village for three nights and uh, had one of the nicest views out of an Airbnb window that I think I've ever had. So that was that did was you, quite nice. Did you bring any back for us? Oh, I brought a couple back. I can't say they're for you guys. Oh, <laughs> disappointing. Uh, <laughs> but you only get three bottles worth. Uh, to bring in on the way in anyway, so it's, nah, it's you can just smuggle a few ship, more. Just don't ship them over. <laughs> if uh, customs are listening, we are law-abiding citizens. So I'm assuming that the the AFL landscape was huge news over there in Europe. Oh, huge! I uh, haven't seen so much <laughs> AFL on a pub screen since I was in Bali a few years back. But uh, no, no, no. I managed to catch a couple of the games. Uh, the Brisbane and Richmond game was on at a good time, uh, European-wise, in the morning. So just I, watching I on your phone. That. Just watching on the phone. Yep. Um, but other than that, I've had to do a bit of catching up. So, but it was good. But in terms of sporting, I don't think that was even the highlight for me because I was at the the cricket when uh, Steve Smith raised the bat three times. What a day to go! <coughs> we um, before you left, you were very very um, nervous about rain. The was ruining was showing a lot of rain. Oh, you had one day to get to the cricket, and you were very very nervous about the the weather forecast. So I think my time in Manchester, I flew in the night before, had the day at the cricket, and then flew out four thirty the next morning. So. Um, I was cacking my dax looking at the forecast because I was like, I've blown thousand dollars <laughs> or so on this this little side trip of the what trip. What a day to go! Um, but yeah, don't tell the missus, but that was probably the highlight of the trip. <laughs> awesome. Uh, let's get stuck in. It's time for three on three. It is time for three on three, but it was also time to introduce Christian Jolly from Champion Data. I was too you're too getting carried away. You, you're back <laughs> now. <laughs> work. Forgotten how to host. Christian, how are you? Yeah, I'm good. I'm how, just... <laughs> how the last couple of weeks been? Yeah, good. And just been out at Packingham, so nothing nothing as important as you. So <laughs> not as nice as the south of France. <laughs> oh no, my my apologies. Um, uh, I forgot about you there for a brief second, but we we will move on. Uh, we have plenty to talk about this week because. Uh, Semi-finals, a lot at stake because, you know, loser goes home and, and if you like the Brisbane Lions and you lost the first week and then you lose the second week, suddenly you're out in straight sets and it's a, a bit of a debacle for, for your season. But there are a couple of interesting points from that game in particular I think we should touch on, uh, guys. Uh, firstly, one being the spirit of the game uh, discussion that kind of happened when uh, Charlie Cameron came back on after getting injured early in the match, came back on and Adam Kennedy from the Giants started uh, poking and prodding around his injured elbow. Uh, and the umpire, Sean Ryan, uh, I think it was, came over and sort of said, hey, I'll pay a free kick if you don't stop doing this. It's against the spirit of the game. Sent social media into all sorts of meltdowns uh, about what is and isn't appropriate on the football field. Some said the umpire should stay stay out of it completely. Others said the umpire should just pay a free kick and not say anything. Where do we sort of stand on the, the spirit of the game discussion when it comes to uh, injured players and, and, and free kicks and, and this sort of stuff? Uh, there are... the. That, this is an issue that really a lot of people have have got different takes, as you said, Matt. Uh, I I think I I think that common sense umpiring is a good thing. I, I I think it would be much easier for an umpire just to pay a free kick and then would probably hound them, hound them for making a free kick. But 
I, I like it. I, I likened it to in, in a cricket um, umpire when they they warn a, a bowler that they're getting close to overstepping the mark. And, and I, I quite like the fact that the umpire was really common sense and said, look, if you keep doing that, I can actually pay a free kick against you. And I think that's the common sense umpiring that we sometimes call for. Mm. And the fact that he applied it in that situation, I thought was good umpiring. I think people would be more ticked off if you just pay the free kick out of the And people are like, well, what's it for? Because mm. isn't that in the, you know, not, not necessarily, might not be in the spirit of the game, but it's not necessarily a law to say you can't do it. But I just hate this sort of stuff. I hate seeing, I've said it before on this podcast, I hate seeing players... It's like Ben Stratton when he was pinching. Charlie Cameron seems to cop it everywhere he goes. But, but it's you know it's that sort of stuff which is like it's not illegal. It's not in the rule book that you can't do it. But why do it? I mean, you're trying to get a competitive advantage. Is that what it is? A guy's just had his arm nearly snapped in half and then you're whacking it for the rest of the game. I just hate seeing it. Yeah, I think that's a good point. I, I thought there was great umpiring on the night. So it was Sean Ryan. We may as well give him a shout out. We, we talk about players when they do well. To me, I thought it was great umpiring. You, you didn't pay a free kick. You didn't sort of overreact. You just gave the warning. Didn't stop play. Didn't stop the flow of game. It was just it was didn't just happen again. It was just something that was happened picked up by Channel Seven cameras. Again, I'll just sort of throw it out there. How often does this happen in a game that we don't hear about? We wouldn't know. We're all you know. You got as you said, social media jumping up and down, mm. um, saying you know it's a bad look and that. Well, this was just something that was broadcast on air. It might might have happened five other times across that game. It seems like this is the biggest blow up, if you like, on a footy field since the Sydney stack Eddie Betts little uh, interaction after mm. the Betts goal. I, I, everyone was going crazy. Like I, couldn't, I, I can't believe how big this sort of got. I Everyone seems to forget. So there was a lot of negative um, pushback and, and from pr- some pretty respected media and ex-football types that said that, that once you cross the line, you're fair game and you know, you're know you not injured if you're playing. But I think everyone forgets that about 10 years ago, this, this spirit of the game clause, if you like, or rule was brought in when uh, Stephen Baker um, kept on hitting the broken hand of Stevie Johnson. Mm. Um, and ev- there was a, was a huge out- outpouring of, of angst, the fact that he can get away with that. And the AFL brought this, I guess this, um, I guess more of a clause than a rule in to try and outlaw that. And I think that's a good thing. As you say, Jake, what other sport has people bashing in, into each other and but almost being the accepted part of the game that you can you know whack someone's injury and it's 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 a good thing to try and stamp out of the game I think. Well, uh, one thing that I, I kind of think of it's it's not exactly the same, but you're not going to go and see an injured bloke on the street who's got a cast on his arm or a shoulder in a sling and just start hitting his shoulder. I know, you're not, but you're I not going to ta- tackle, tackle him either. I mean, but we see tackling on the field, but but don't do stuff like as you it's say, just it, unnecessary. It is unnecessary. I, I I just hate seeing it. It's just so it's so not needed on the football field, and we always talk about you know things flowing down to the grassroots level. Do you really want if you've got a, an 8-year-old son playing, do you really want him getting whacked in the arm if he's got a sore arm or a sore leg? Like I just don't think it's a great thing that we get all the youngsters and everyone else seeing. It just doesn't need to be done. And one of the arguments I keep hearing is, you know, how do we know when a player is injured? How do we know and this could lead to you know, people faking injuries. Well, but no, they that know. was just that was that's such an well, overreaction. It's, Adam it's Kennedy's... the opposite of what Sean Ryan did. Sean Ryan took a common sense approach to it yeah. and said, "He's injured. You're back in your elbow. Stop doing a pay for a gig." All these commentators the next day and you know uh, post match sort of saying, "Well, he could have been fake." That that is the overreaction that Sean Ryan <laughs> didn't do mm-hmm. in say, sort of saying, "Well, we all saw Cameron go off in the first minute of the game, right. hyperextended elbow. He was injured." Adam Kennedy must have known he wasn't targeting he wasn't, the other elbow. Yeah, he, he wasn't was targeting the injured elbow. And he wasn't going after another player without a cast on it. Correct. So I think the overreaction the next day was what got me of, no, I don't think this is going to lead to um, you know people faking injuries just so they can't get touched in the game. It, it was just a common sense one of, we all knew Cameron was injured, including mm. Adam Kennedy, and 
kept hitting the same spot. That was that was one incident. It was probably the, one of the most niggly, aggressive games I, I think I've, I've seen all year. And the, both teams just went hammer and tongs at each other. It was a great game of footy, Matty. You, you missed out. Um, it was possibly one of the best games of footy, I reckon, this year. I did see this one. You, did, you, yeah, you watched I, it? I watched it in Okay, so... That's fair enough. I'm glad. I'm glad that you are at least keeping one eye on the ball. Um, there's obviously the to- Toby Green factor, and we're recording this on the day of his tribunal case, so we're not sure what's going to happen with him. But I actually think this game and um, the elimination final that the Giants um, won against the Bulldogs, the Giants have to bring this hard edge. They've they've been found wanting when there's been physical pressure applied in finals and in other big games over the last few years. There's such a incredibly talented squad they have to bring this level of aggression to, to win yeah. big games I'm, I'm loving it and we've been speaking about it all year we've, we've noticed it in the tip numbers people don't sort of trust them to tip GWS enough and we sort of said they were the ones that people got wrong the most uh, coming into the final series probably no one was sort of talking them up as we are with Geelong Richmond even Brisbane sort of being up there they just needed to show something different three or four years of failures and this is this is that difference that they're bringing this year and I'm actually liking it if, if they do something wrong umpires are paying free kicks which we'll sort of get into the numbers later on but they, they, that's something they need to bring. Uh, speaking of Green, Neil, you touched on him. What did you make of uh, a second in- incident in two weeks? Uh, this time he was going after Lockie Neal. The second similar incident in two weeks is a really, really bad look. It's troubling. It, it really troubling, and especially something with fingers in the eyes or near the eye area is really, really poor. But I think the AFL shot themselves in the foot. I think Toby Green should get off tonight, and as I said, we, we don't know when your our listeners are hearing this. They, they might already know the result, but... I think what he did to Marcus Bontempelli was worse and he didn't have a suspension for that. So if you look at the two incidents um, completely separately, I think he would have to get off because it looked like less less contact, less intense contact. Mm. But a lot of people will clump them together and say the fact that he's been done two similar, um, I guess, charges mm. in two weeks shows that he's not learning, he's not remorseful, and maybe they need to, to make a statement of him. But why does he need to learn if he's not getting a suspension? That's fair enough, I mean, yeah. this is the thing. He, he's gone out, he's done something that's been deemed not worthy for... You know, there's no suspension there for him. So it's like, okay, well, I can do that same thing again. I mean, does a player really matter, care about a fine? Does a player even... Pl- does a player even pay the fine? Are we, I mean, we don't know this sort of stuff. Yeah. I don't think that the club necessarily cares if a $7,500 fine is coming Toby Green's way every week if he's playing through to the grand final. Um, but you're right. The, what he did against the Bont was worse than Neil. So based on that, you'd think, well, he has to get off. But who knows? Mm. Maybe maybe it's that sort of cumulative effect where it's like, well, you do two 50-50 things and you get a suspension, which it as, shouldn't be. As much as I think, it, I, I think it should be that way, it definitely won't be. I don't think the AFL can just change a rule and decide that we're now going to grade two incidents across two weeks and give you a suspension. You're right. They've sort of pigeonholed themselves in you, you got to forget about last week. You, you've yep. never judged anything mm. on a, on a you know on a cumulative basis. Got to throw it out and just yeah take this one on its on its merits. And Bizarre. But people do forget. Sorry to interrupt, Matt. There's been so much focus on the bad boy Toby Green. Gee, he's a good footballer. He's a great footballer, isn't he? I mean, oh. fair to say they wouldn't have won that game without him. He was thirty possibly touches, two goals. First, first goal or second best on first goal of the game. I mean, he just he's so good and he's such a classy, clever forward, but. I think I think he's almost wasted as a forward. I think when Cornelio went out, he's he's gone back, played a few more minutes in the midfield, and my God, he's such a good footballer. Mm. So if he stays rubbed out this week, can the Giants win against no. the Pies? I think they can. I still think they can, but obviously he's a huge loss. No, I don't think so. I think I think they're up against it. Um, I think I think Collingwood will be heavy favourites, and we'll touch on we'll go deeper into the the prelim previews. Mm. But yeah, without Green, the talisman, I don't think they can win. 
from one tribunal case to another, uh, Tom Hawkins' ban has been upheld, so he's going to miss the the preliminary final this week against the Tigers. Uh, pretty big loss, Jake, for someone who's so consistent and so accurate in front of the big sticks. Huge loss, but, I mean, it's very fair, extremely fair, and I think he can count himself. If Geelong actually pull it off and beat Richmond and get through to the grand final, I think he can consider himself extremely lucky that he'll be playing in a to grand final. To only get one week? To only get one week. I mean, people were saying, oh, gee, he, he may have got off. The fact that we even thought he could get nothing for that is ridiculous. He should have got two, three, four weeks. And that might sound crazy because he only ended up getting one. But I'm telling you now, you look at what he did compared to that incident with Andrew Gaff last year. Now, I know the I know the result was different. I know the, the contact and everything was slightly off. But it was still a round arm to the face. Had he broken Schofield's jaw, like Brayshaw, we'd be saying, well, isn't he entitled to eight-week suspension like Gaff got? Yeah, exactly. We can't just be looking at the result of what happened. So that's the way I've looked at it as well. So the tribunal's basically telling us that was one-eighth as bad as what Gaff Which did. is nowhere near. Correct. No I, way. I don't think that fraction is right. I think it's about a quarter or half as bad because it, it didn't do the damage, but it was the same action and it hit but the same But that shows how, how crazily... Um, focus the the tribunal and the mm. MRP is about the outcome. Mm. So they've got to try and cut down on the action. And as you say, Jake, like if that was one inch to the left or higher, and he wouldn't yeah. be. And I think everyone understands that Gaff didn't try and break Brayshaw's no. jaw, but he just happened to land one in the wrong spot yeah. at the wrong time. And, and you've got to try and outlaw that. And Hawkins has done pretty much exactly the same action. Yeah, and the other thing with Gaff is, I mean, he had a he had a squeaky clean record before that, whereas Hawkins, every second week, you know, Hawkins is in some Huge sort of trouble. Last year, whether it's tummy taps, touching the umpires, hitting people, I mean, he's always seems to be getting fine suspensions, tribunal. I mean, he has got to clear this up. And the fact that he's doing it in a semi-final and now going to miss a preliminary final... When there's so much pressure on Geelong, who haven't performed in finals and have all the talent there, I mean, it's just not good enough from one of your senior players and one of the best players in your team. You're right, and he's been so durable. So I've looked at from 2015 to 2018, he's only missed eight games in those five seasons. Five of them have been through suspension. One was for personal leave, so only two injuries in that time. So mm. again, if it wasn't, it wasn't for these sort of, you know, mind, mind explosions one-off, he, he would have had, you know... Played more games in that time. How interesting is it that the the narratives of the two players in the spotlight going um, going from last weekend, Green and Hawkins. So Green, everyone's rising up against. He's a he's a grub. He's a he's a shock and bully X Y Z. And the whole AFL industry seems to to want to line him up. Whereas Hawkins, there's not a lot of looking back at his record. He's got a shocking record, as you guys have um, laid out. He, he's he's been done for for striking, you know, touching umpires. He, he's in the last sort of four or five years, he's got a really bad rap sheet, but people think that it's just more of a one-off. But mm. and he's, there been, he's got to have a hard look at himself. There have been other times when we talked about the times he's been suspended, but there have been other times where he's been fined and he's been let off. But the the amount of times he's come under scrutiny, is, it's um, it probably rivals or is almost worse than what Toby Green does. So yeah, yeah. I, look, I think your your first question was how do they stack up without him? I I think they're you know what was already a huge mountain to overcome is now extremely difficult. I don't see how they're going to be able to kick a score. We know Richmond, so Richmond since the bye, they're kicking 100 points a game. Yeah. I mean, they're, they're not having any trouble scoring. I know Geelong's a good defensive side, but I really worry about the their avenues to goal. I, I don't see Radigalia or, or Rowan if he's playing or, you know, Gaz, you know, Gaz is going to have to play some more minutes in the midfield. I just don't see where they're getting their goals from. They're going to have to kick 14 goal, 13, 14 goals. I don't know if they can. Well, the, the kind of spit on that point, like the, the good thing about Hawkins, or, or one of the sort of more impressive points about Hawkins' game style, is that he takes the most of his opportunities. He makes the most of it. He does, he and, might get... and, he, and he assists a lot of the teammates around well, him. He's, he's ranked up there for assists in the league, but he might only get sort of five 
shots at goal, but he, he'll kick 4-1. You know, he's not going to go 2-3 or 1-4. Or, or he's a, he's an accurate kick for goal, and he's, he proved that last week, but he's proved it all year, really. Uh, and he's incredibly consistent. So he's a, a huge loss for a, a team that probably needs to kick 12 goals at least to beat the Tigers. Yeah, so they've, they've actually got... Geelong has got a great record without him in that time, period, the time span I was just talking about earlier. So since 2015, they're actually 7-1 and one without hmm. him and some decent wins as well. So they've beaten... Last year, they beat Port Adelaide and Collingwood without him. Uh, in... Uh, 2017, they beat Richmond and Collingwood without him. Uh, they lost to West Coast that year. Uh, going back earlier, they've beaten North Melbourne, Gold Coast, and Carlton so without him as well. So they beat Richmond in the Tigers' premiership year 2017 without, him. without Tom Hawkins. So it's not a bad oh, sign. Okay. Here we go. <laughs> a glimmer of hope, maybe? I or? think so. And I think with Geelong as well, take Tom Hawkins out of the picture. If I'm just analysing this game and saying, all right, how does Geelong win this game? It's defence. Mm. They've been the number one defensive team all year. They've conceded their the club's fewest points against for 50 years. Uh, it's the fewest points against ever conceded from turnovers by any team. So they're just not getting beaten sort of, you know, on the turnover. Um, so looking at Geelong, it was always going to be about defense in this game. Yes. Tom Hawkins is a huge loss to the forward line, but I think in overall the game story for me, it doesn't change the narrative. Geelong still needs to defend and mm. keep Richmond to that measly score of 50 or 60 points. And Geelong is still a chance. So t- Tom Hawkins sort of doesn't have any say in, what they can see to Richmond. Keeping the Tigers It, it is interesting, points. but who's their most important player then? I mean, w- would we say that if we look at their defence, is Blitzer their most important player or is uh, Tom Stewart, Stewart their most important so, player? Honestly, I think that's why they are so good defensively because you can't... It, it is a great back six. You can take one out um, and someone else will slot back in there. You've got Jake Kolodajny who's just not a star or anything like that, but just, you know, quietly goes about his business, does his job every week. Even someone like Jack Henry, Jed Buse. Mm. I think that is why because you can't sort of say, well, without... And Alex Rance or, you know, without a Jeremy McGovern, the whole backline changes. Not with Geelong. They've actually got a great sort of team set up. From the winners of uh, last week's games to the losers, uh, Brisbane, unfortunately, have been given the tag of straight sets. They've been they've gone out in straight sets, Jake, and, and you were really hot on them throughout the year and, and going into the final series. Um, we're going to talk about West Coast a bit later, but, but how do you kind of assess Brisbane's year? I mean, obviously, it's probably a pass, but... Has it Probably been lessened? Well, it's obviously a pass, but has it been lessened somewhat because of their performance in finals? I think if you look at the year overall, from from what we from what every club had and what we expected, and, and all the ingredients thrown in, I, I think right now Brisbane's just about kind of top of the pile. I mean, you know, Geelong You're shaking your head at that man. Geelong's let us down a little bit. Richmond let us down early, but they've come good, and the Richmond's probably the only team that will go ahead. Collingwood, I thought Collingwood would, would be better than they were. I know they've had injuries, and West Coast has let us They're down. They're still alive, though. They are. They are still alive. But, you know, I, I think with Brisbane, to go from five wins to 16 is an incredible rise. Um, obviously, they lost two finals, but you, they came up against Richmond, who are in unbelievable form. They got beaten by Richmond and they had chances. I mean, I know they lost by seven goals, but gee, had they taken their chances in the first quarter of that game, they could have been in that and who knows how it plays out in the second half. Um, you know, Richmond probably go on and win. It's no disgrace to to lose to Richmond. And then the Giants, the Giants, we just touched on them. They played extremely well and the Giants, when they're at their best, are as good as anyone. And that was a, that was a three-point game. I mean, I don't look at... It's not as if they got belted in the finals and they looked way out of their depth. They didn't at all. I think they, they played really well. You know, some of their players have now got finals experience. I think that's going to help them. I actually said before that game, I said, I think it'll help them in the long run to go out in straight sets than to beat the Giants and then come and play a prelim in Melbourne and, and get beaten by 30, 40, 50 points. I, I, I think that'll really inspire them now. They've, they've had a taste for it. They've had a great season and I reckon they're going to come back really strong next year as well. 
Matt, thank you've you been the, shaking the your Brisbane, head the Brisbane most fanboy. of that. <laughs> you've obviously got something, uh, some different no, I, thoughts. I agree. I think there have been huge positives for the Lions this year. As you said, five wins up to 16 is incredible. The crowds are back at the Gabba. They've been good to watch. Uh, the last couple of years, I've really nailed the pickups off, uh, like on the field. I mean, you look at Neil, Lyons, Robinson, Adams, McCarthy. I mean, the names they've picked up are great. But I can't help but be left with a real sort of sour taste in my mouth after they secured the home finals advantage. They finished second on the ladder. Um with a bottom six draw, so let's not let's not forget that they had they had a draw which was relatively soft compared to other finalists um, and other teams around them in in the top eight who had had to play other teams in the top eight from last year. Mm. So if you think about it that way, they're not going to get another run like this next year. And no, they won't. It becomes so much harder you, for them. Do you think they'll make the top eight next year? I think they'll probably make the top eight next year. I mean, I'll, it's a bit early, and we've got to wait for the trade period and the draft, obviously. Um, but they're not going to have another year like this where they have the opportunity in front of them to keep home field advantage throughout the finals and make the most of it. And yes, they come up against Richmond, who's in red-hot form. And But, oh, geez, you just can't help but think that they really should have beaten the Giants. Uh, and at least that way they play a prelim. You say you've got a finals win under your belt. But losing that game just kind of really gives me a bit of a sour taste in the mouth. The other big thing they had all year was a, a really great injury run. They they, they, they had the, the majority of their best team on the park every single week. So... They did have a great a great year. They had a, a charmed run with the draw, perhaps, and with injuries. I think the fact that they lost two finals is a missed opportunity for them. I don't think you can gloss over that. And I don't agree with you, Jake, that you're saying that that's a positive. I think they, winning a, a final under pressure would be such a big thing for that club, a club that hasn't played finals and tasted success for Not so long. Not a positive, but I, I don't think it's a, I don't think it's horrific. I don't think it's disastrous to, to go out. You know, they had a great season and they got beaten by two really good sides. I don't think it's... Not a positive, but I don't think it's going to hurt them. I, I think it's going to hold them in good stead next year. I think they're going to have a very dominant year next year. I think it's the finals they needed to have. Um, exactly how you described it. They came against Richmond, very experienced finals team, and just didn't take their chances. Had they a kick straighter, they would have won that game. Come up against the Giants, and I think the same thing. The Giants sort of with their physicality and the way that game played, they just... I mean, they only lost by three points. You won't say they weren't ready for it, but I think they got two great finals to go and watch over the summer. They'll come back next year. I'll, you know, I'll make my big call now. I wouldn't be surprised if they win 18, 19 games next I year. Mean, just, just I that, mean, that, it, they'll lose just going to steal the them together. I just feel like all year they've sort of been, whether it's us in the media or themselves, we weren't sure if they were really there. They, they kept winning and they were a top four, and yeah. we're like, oh, will they stay there? How long? You know, we've probably discussed it five or six times on the pod. How, how long till Brisbane drop out of the eight? How long mm. till they drop out of the four? By round 23, they could have taken top spot on the ladder. Mm-hmm. Yes, they've lost two finals, but I, I would say look out for Brisbane next year. Nothing. Had they taken their chances, we would be against Richmond. They, we could be sitting here right now saying, pre- previewing the preliminary final that they're hosting at the Gabba and but saying, they didn't. "Gee, are they the premiership favourites now?" I mean, they didn't. Okay, they didn't. But it's not the end of the world. Like it happens. But no, I'm not saying it's the end of the world. But all I'm saying is, it just leaves a bit of a sour taste in my mouth. It does. You... I mean, they lost. Look, they've lost the last three games. That does leave a bit of a sour taste, but I, again, I don't think it's disastrous going forward. I think they're going to be a top five, top six side next year comfortably. I just hope that they're not satisfied with what they've done. So look, at there's, there's a really strong example of a club that's been down on its knees for a long time and had a huge rise in one season, and that's Melbourne last year. And look how bad Melbourne went this year. So I just hope that they don't just yeah. assume that they'll have natural progression from the young kids, that, oh, they've done all this hard work and next year will just be more yeah. of the same, if not better. I hope that they can learn or certainly circle that on, on their whiteboards good case and, and say, mm. we cannot let this happen next year. For sure. But they finished second. They're going to become the hunted. There's a whole off-season of coaches going to look at them and go, geez, they play good footy, kick good scores and, and finish second. So we've got to stop that. So you're right. I hope they don't rest on their laurels. Uh, West Coast, going across to the West. I mean, 
gee, you kind of think back to the round 23 loss to the, to the Hawks where if they'd won that, which they really should have won, that's a double chance. That's a top four finish. And we, we probably think that they're in a prelim at home this week. Yeah, well, if they if they beat uh, Hawthorne in round 23, I think they would have probably been second flag favourites after after the Tigers. I mean, it just it's amazing how much that game cost them. And yeah, I mean, you can say, well, they lost you know, nine games or seven games, whatever they lost throughout the season. But it's just like, but that was the one. They, all they had to do, they went into that game, they had to win and they're top four. That's all they had to do and they didn't. And they were at home against a team that's not even in the top eight. So it was a really poor loss. And in the end, that cost them. I mean, they play well against Essendon who probably were a bit out of their depth in finals and then um, came up against the Geelong side and they that was a bit of a 50-50 and they didn't quite get the job done in the, second, in the last quarter. So I look at West Coast and I think they really shot themselves in the foot in the last round. Um but throughout the year as well, I mean, we sort of said it a few times throughout the year, they're just cruising. They, they were never cruising. got going, did they? Yeah. yeah. Uh, and, and I mean, they have that advantage of playing games over there and they're hard to beat over there and you, you can kind of bank nine wins there just straight away at the start of the year. Um, and look, they played well in Melbourne and they had nice form and they were the reigning premiers. But I think when you do factor in the, that exact point is that they were the, they are the premier, the reigning premiers right now. They're out. They didn't make the... They didn't make the prelims, if you said at the start of the year they'd get Nat Nui, Gaff, Shepard back and they wouldn't make the prelims, you'd say, disappointing year. Yeah, yeah. I, I think it can only be considered a huge failure, the fact that they didn't reach prelim weekend. They look like, on paper, they're a stronger team than last year, as you've just suggested. So, I think the fact that they that they bombed out, they cost themselves the, the top four spot and then they, they lost the game they probably could have won against Geelong, I think not re- making at least a prelim is a huge huge failure. Mm-hmm. I think, it, I think it, again, I look at it more as just at how even the competition is. I don't... I, I mean, we've always, again, Champion Day has banged on a bit, little bit about uh, West Coast and the numbers that we see, the ground ball gets, and, you know, they're always in the negative. But, I mean, you're just looking at them. I don't, I don't feel like they played any worse than they did last year. They just didn't get the results. But I feel like there was always a pool of five or six teams that were always, you know, that were a chance to win it this year, and West Coast was always one. Yes, they were reigning premiers, but I never think they were, you know, got themselves to number one and during the season. So so it looks like Tim Kelly's going to West Coast in the off-season. Does, mm. does his addition make them... I mean, where do you rate West Coast looking ahead to next year? Are they oh, I think Christian couple? just said they, there's, they were one of five or six teams that was always going to be in the hunt. With him, they probably they elevate even further. I mean, he's... Probably a, win 10 games at home and, and yeah, only need they're to win gonna a be in that hunt again. But again, if they don't make prelim finals next year with him, I mean, then you think, gee, it's, a, it's, it's an F. How about stat? With champion data. All right, enough about the losers of last week. Uh, let's talk about the winners and those who are set to face off in this week's prelims. Christian has a few sheets of paper in front of him, <laughs> I can see over there, with some interesting facts and stats. Uh, where do you want to start? Uh, so we'll start uh, Friday night, so Geelong-Richmond uh, will be the first one. So just looking at the two teams and how they've gone this year. So Geelong, second for points for Richmond fourth. Points against Geelong are first, so, you know, conceded the fewest, which was sort of just covered, and Richmond are fourth again. So Richmond's sort of sitting fourth at both ends. Uh, game style-wise, Geelong play a contested game, so 42% of their possessions are won from a contest, the fourth highest percentage in the comp. Whereas we know Richmond love to flick it around, handball, use the space, 38% won from a contest, which is the fourth lowest. Mm. So it's almost like a very, very good, tough inside team coming up against one of the best sort of uh, outside ball-moving teams. Um, so again, looking at Geelong, they're the number one tackling side this season, so they've averaged the most tackles of anyone. And Richmond has been tackled the second least. So again, it's <laughs> it's what type of game this is. And again, looking at a final, it's probably going to lean more towards the contested, contested game side. style. So that might suit the Cats a bit more. Yes, well, exactly that. I don't, I don't think Richmond turned to water in a contested game style. I'm not saying anything like that. But yeah, exactly. Geelong will want it to be uh, as you know the ball in tight and, and uh, sort of close together as uh, possible all night. 
Um, so again, we sort of said Richmond number one for meters game from handball. Mm-hmm. Geelong were actually fourth in that stat. So Geelong are pretty attacking with their handball as well. So they just sort of do it more out of congestion, whereas Richmond are doing it more from you know up and down the wing and on the outside. Uh, so again, Richmond um, defensively they concede the most marks and third most disposal of any team. So they don't mind having the ball in the opposition's hand as long as they can turn it over in, in their back line and, and quickly move Correct. it the other way. So, yeah, they're the, they're yeah. the hardest side to score against once you get right. it inside 50. So, they so sort they can of chip just... it around the middle or the back line as yep. much as they like, but as soon as the other team goes forward, Tigers Correct. say, righto, we're Correct. getting the footy now. Yeah, so, and, and Geelong, you know, what what teams do against Richmond is they do have a lot of the footy and we've seen high mark play on percentage numbers. So the opposition is trying to play on a lot against Richmond and it's just not working for them. Geelong actually have the style that could trouble Richmond. They are high uh, disposal teams, so they, they actually like to flick it around and... Um, you know, kick it between themselves as well. But they play on the least of any team, so they do it in a lot more of a controlled way. So they're sort of, again, with Richmond, they sort of want you to come at their defence, not as fast as possible, but sort of, you know, we're not going to press up to the half forward and uh, half back line. Come to us in the defence, we'll turn it over in defence, and we'll just outrun you going back towards our own goal. Mm. Whereas Geelong really are slow set up. They won't, if they do turn it over in their forward 50, Richmond aren't going to get that fast break out of it because Geelong have kept that slow ball movement going for a reason so they can ke- keep their setup behind the ball and they don't get punished from turnovers. So again, it'll sort of be interesting to see um, the, the the inside 50 count in this one. I think Geelong will win the inside 50 count just because they might get a lot more sort of repeat entries, but the entries will be with 30 or 40 blokes yeah. uh, sort of, you know, stacked in the forward 50, whereas Richmond, they could probably have 10 fewer inside 50s, 5 fewer inside 50s, but still be a chance to win just because they're going to probably be playing with a more open forward line. I think we said, touched on this maybe a week or two ago, probably when Richmond last played. Yeah, they just they seem to work really hard in the middle of the ground to win the ball, and it's so fast and fierce getting it forward. But once they actually get it inside 50, they generally get it to a really good spot to score from. Yeah. And they find players that are open, and they do kick a lot of goals out the back. And that's not a that's a credit to them to be able to find that. You'd rather play taking a shot from 10 out than, mm. than 40 out. So they do they do all their hard work in the middle of the ground, it seems. Yeah. So And then just looking at score sources, so Geelong are pl- like number one for scoring from intercepts this year, so plus 403, and Geelong are plus 341, which is second. So these two teams are the most dominant teams uh, scoring from intercepts or from the opposition turnover. The thing is that Richmond actually concede the second most turnovers per game. So Richmond... Because they are going that sort of health to skelter sort of handball, so they do have a lot of turn- turnovers per game. I think it's up about seventy five to seventy eight. So, so that would sort of indicate why when these teams met earlier in the year, Geelong actually kind of blew the Tigers out of the water. Correct. So Tigers I think turned it over a bit. Geelong can punish you on the, the rebound. That was when the Tigers probably had their worst of their injury crisis. Mm. But Rance had just gone out of the team. I don't think Revolt. I don't was think playing. Asprey played either. Yeah, maybe you're right. I mean, look, so again, the, the blueprints there. Yeah, the, the, the person stacks up. So again, because they are turning the ball <laughs> over up. a lot. They, they're, they're turning the ball over a lot, but they're only getting scored against uh, 15% of the time that they turn it over, which is the hardest team to score against. So, yes, they have a lot of turnovers, right. but they're also the best at protecting them. Mm. Whereas Geelong sort of go the other way. I think Geelong have the second fewest turnovers per game. Mm. So, they've got the slow control ball movement. They don't really want to turn it over. They are good at protecting it too, but not as good as Richmond. Richmond are almost like, well, we'll go fast if we turn it over. We'll trust our back six that we won't concede a score. Whereas Geelong are more like, with ball in hand, they're already thinking about, all right, I don't want to turn this over too early yeah. because we'll get scored against the other way. So it's two different sort of mindsets with the ball in hand. It's, it's really interesting hearing hearing those stats and also um, previously what you said about the Cats' recent record without Tom Hawkins. It makes me think this is actually a, a pretty... No, not a believer, <laughs> but you know, a couple, a couple of days ago when, when it looked like Hawkins was going to miss, I, I assume a lot of people would have shared this opinion, but I just thought, oh, the Cats were going to do it tough anyway. Now they're no chance, mm. but... 
thinking about their season stats and the fact that the, the Cats can play without Hawkins reasonably well, it makes me think that it should be a closer game than what most neutrals think. Mm. I mean, the key is clearly uh, the Cats' defence limiting Richmond to maybe 10, 11, 12 goals they or less. It into a scrap. Yeah, it turned yeah. it into a real sort of... The, the factor that I just have in the back of my head is... Um, think back 12 months ago. I mean, I think if, if, if Damien Hardwick wants to deliver a message before that game, you think back to what happened 12 months ago against Collingwood. Mm. We're not no, letting no this happen Cox, again. <laughs> well, you spoke to Trent Cochin after the, the win in Brisbane, and, and he kind of said the same thing. Like, you got to be in it to win it. And there, there are blokes in this Richmond team who didn't play in that 2017 flag. That's who exactly want... right. I think, I mean, it's not that he said it, but you got that feeling with the Tigers last year. They were so much better than everybody else, and it was just like... It's almost like you just take it for granted how good you are. You can just show up, roll in, and just win on any given day. And then all of a sudden, it's like, we've been so good and one bad half and we're out. Yep. And mm-hmm. it's like, you do. You have to be in a twin. It doesn't matter how good you are. If you're not there last day, it's not happening. We'll mm-hmm. get your tips for these games a bit later on uh, when we speak about our upsets and certainties. Although there are only two games, so that might <laughs> be a bit of a bizarre one. Uh, what about we if we turn our attention to the second prelim uh, on Saturday afternoon, Collingwood and GWS? What can we, you tell us about that, Christian? Yeah, so again, we'll just sort of start with the two, the obvious ones. So points for, so GWS are the third best scoring side in the competition. Collingwood are only seventh. Uh, so defensively, GWS are fifth fewest points conceded. Collingwood second. So again, probably if you're looking at, you know, Summing that up, Colling was probably going to be relying a bit more on keeping the game a bit more defensive. Mm-hmm. If it gets to a shootout, GWS would probably be uh, would prefer it more than Collingwood if it got to a shootout type well, thing. So many attacking weapons in that Giants forward line, you, you kind of worry a bit for the for the the Pies back line a bit when you can kind of see like you know Finlayson or um, you know. Green Cameron. pushing forward, Cameron. I didn't May, even mention yeah. Cameron. So, Green. so that <laughs> was the, that was the one that hit my eye. So I've almost again got a few team stats here, but I'm looking at Jeremy Cameron. Jeremy Cameron's almost the key for this game. So he's kicked 32 goals in his eight career games against Collingwood. Mm-hmm. Um, so you sort of take out that first game he played against them when I don't know how much they got beaten, but you know they they, they sort of you know were the baby giants back then. So he's kicked 30 goals eight um, in his past seven against them. Um, and sort of again going, return. yeah, mm-hmm. looking back at it, he's so kicked two against them back when he first played, seven the next game, two, five, six, three, one, and then kicked six against them in round 19 this season. Mm-hmm. So Jeremy Cameron's certainly enjoyed playing against Collingwood. The blokes they've used on him um, in that time, so they used Jeremy Howe on him uh, the last two years. Gold Sack, who's no longer there, mm-hmm. Jonathan Marsh, uh, no longer there, Nathan Brown. No longer there. Lockie Keefe, who's actually playing for GWS, and Ben Reid, who's no longer part of the defence. So they're, they're the people they've tried on Cameron. He's going to have to try something different. It clearly hasn't worked. So. Darcy Moore, you'd assume with the athletic profile of Darcy Moore and the fact that, he, that mm. he's, he's overcome his injury hurdles and looks like he's really running well, you'd think he'd be a natural fit now. So that's the first thing I look So Darcy Moore's played three games versus GWS across his career. They were all as a forward. So they haven't, he hasn't <laughs> played in defence yet. But Seems again, like that's, a long time ago. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> There's little storylines about this game, aren't there? You're, yeah. sort of, you're not sure how that's going to pan out. And I even went to, across to the Bulldogs and looked at Jordan Roughhead and whether he'd had he'd had time on him. He'd never played on him either. So it, it probably most likely, I think it might start with Jeremy Howe. He, he did okay. I mean, I know he kicked... Uh, Cameron kicked six against him in round 19. I think we had five of those against Howe before the move was made. Um, but the Darcy Moore one's interesting to me. Yes, I think he f- if he feels like the best matchup, but the thing that Darcy Moore did so well in that first final was the third man in. Yeah. Um, you, you don't want him having the number... You know, I would think Collingwood don't want him to have the number one job yeah, in the defence. Yeah, robs them of that amazing intercept. Correct. Ability. So it's that, it's that, yeah, that trade-off of do we want to stop Cameron Moore or do we want to get Darcy Moore 
freed up to sort of dominate the air, sort of like mm. what he did against Geelong. So I think that'll be an interesting matchup. And again, never want to put it on one player, but clearly Jeremy Cameron in this game is sort of going to hold uh, GWS's fortunes in his hand. So just a couple of things for the teams. They're, they're very similar in their game style. Collingwood are first run contest marks this year. GWS a second. But Collingwood a much slower, uh, probably, ball movement. Collingwood actually, like, second lowest kick to handball ratio. So they handball a lot, get into space, and then start chipping it around. So we've seen a lot of games this year with Collingwood, just the patience with ball in hand. If you think back round two or three against Richmond, there was another game round four or five against the Bulldogs. They've done it later in the season of... Once we got the ball, if we're up on the scoreboard, we don't mind taking five, ten minutes off of just chipping it around. Uh, GWS don't move move it as slower as Colling, but they, but again, they're, they're very good at finding free space and you know pe- people to um, sort of take their uncontested marks. So again, looking at the backwards kicks, Collingwood sort of have a lot more than GWS. So yeah, Collingwood are sort of happy to sort of slow the ball movement down, chip it around. GWS are actually chipping the ball out, but a bit more attacking and actually going forward um, with it. So again, the clearances are going to be a big one, which is coming coming off GWS. They they played against Brisbane, who are the best. Uh, side at scoring from clearances and mm. outscored them from there. Th- this week they're coming up against the third best side in Collingwood, GWS themselves six second. So very similar mindset for GWS is clearances scoring from be, clearances. And clearances are going to give us that bonus in this game. Whoever wins scores from clearances is going to give themselves a head start in this game. The thing I still worry about with the Giants is, I mean, the obvious thing, the MCG. I mean, we know their record's really poor there. 90,000 fans. I mean, going to be a cauldron, really. Yeah, Correct. So that's going to be a real question. My mind, my mind goes back to last year's semi-final. And again, you can look at all the stats you want and try to measure everything. I... Whether I called that one or back quarter, I just remember that I think I was at, I was I called it, so I was at the venue and I just made the comment that GWS looked lost. Mm-hmm. They did they couldn't defend Collingwood. Collingwood were finding space too easy, and when GWS were getting the ball, they were kicking it straight back to three Collingwood players. They they really looked lost on the MCG. So hopefully they figured that out. My main concern for the Giants would be um, talking about how important clearances are. Shane Mumford got absolutely oh, demolished against point. Stephen Martin, and now he's coming up against an even better, like an A plus version of Stephen Martin in Brody Grundy. So, how do you stop Grundy? I well, mean, do you, I, I, I had a weird thought. This I morning. like this. Idea. I don't think it's weird. I think it's actual. I, I, I must have been dreaming. dreaming about footy last night. I, when you first mentioned this in the pre-podcast meeting, I thought it was one of the silliest ideas I've heard. <laughs> but I've come around to it. So I haven't what, heard it. I'm on the edge of my seat. What's, what's your What's your uh, well, Mummy's going to play. Past. You probably think Mummy's going to play, but he, he's actually drop, drop him. I'd drop him. Oh, yeah. Gee whiz. Anyway, whoever plays in the ruck, I would send Matt DeBoer to Brody Grundy when the ball is at ground level, because when the ball's at ground level, everyone's the same height. And if Matt DeBoer can get the physical presence that's on, that's not strictly true. Not, not strictly <laughs> true, true, but been, you know, everyone's all hunched yeah. over. But no, and, I know what you mean. Uh, why and not? He, and he's so good at that that in and under the in the clinches, keeping the ball locked to someone, ripping it away from someone. If we think if we think Grundy's their most influential, important player in the midfield, send I mean, DeBoer who, to is him. Either him or Pendlebury or. Trelaw, I mean, yeah. I mean, obviously he's not going to match him around the ground in terms of you know pure height. If you want to kick to him or whatever, but when the ball is on the ground, and make sure that you get body on him and Matt DeBoer's. And most importantly, it that. frustrates the hell out of him for sure. It's an alright plan, but it's missing the other bit. So what, what's Mumford doing? So is Mumford playing? Well, he's, 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 out he playing. He's, is he playing on Scott <laughs> Pendlebury? Because you sort of that's that's the trade off. It's it's a midfielder that's not getting matched. He'll, up he'll now. keep Pendlebury to fifteen <laughs> touches, won't he? Neil well, said that you should uh, whack uh, Tomlinson in so the ruck and just compete as best you can and and see what happens. That's but probably not a, not a not a bad idea. Well, I think. I think this is too brazen a call for someone to experiment with this in a in a final such as this. But I reckon if you if you drop Mummy, you play Tomlinson in the ruck just for the taps, and then you've got DeBoer to look after Grundy around the ground, and Tomlinson can just become that extra midfielder around the contest. Get him in. I there. think I think it's extra too, midfield over ruck. I tell you what, if if he does it, it's going to be one of the most fascinating coaching moves that you'll ever see. see personally, I think again what you just said, going into a big fight, you've got yourself to a prelim. 
back what you're doing. I know Grundy's a star player, but don't change your whole team around to try to. But they've been they've player. been comprehensively outplayed at two finals at the MCG, so maybe it is time to try something different. One um, other thing I would say though, which is <laughs> we need to move on, which is which is fascinating, is that when you consider that Richmond and Collingwood are heavy favourites to win their prelims, and then you think the last time they these two teams played each other, the team that was the is the outsider going in smashed them. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, it's bizarre Quickly, when you think they? about it. How good's footy? Hey, we should <laughs> move on. I've had a gutful. Jake, uh, I'm just going to throw this straight over to you because you've had a gutful of something and I tend to agree with you. Well, it's over umpiring, isn't it? I, I, I was really looking forward to watching the Brisbane GWS game and what a game it was. It was probably, gee, it was up there with one of the best games of the, of the season so far. But I was frustrated with the over umpiring. Um, so many free kicks called, and I don't. I'm not the kind of person that says, "Oh, there's too many free kicks," or "There's you know this team didn't get enough free kicks." Pay what's there, but I just felt that in that game there were so many frees paid to both teams I'm early, not, early, particularly in the first half, but throughout as well. Um, and again, both teams. It wasn't like one one side got got stiffed or anything. I just thought it was. Too many, just sim- too many free kicks. They were paying all these small things. We always talk about putting the whistle away in finals and, and letting them play and all that sort of stuff. Um, and there was just too many. And actually, over the course of that round, round if you like the two games, the, the average of forty six free kicks per game. Well, that's up from thirty seven per game in the regular season. So it's gone up a bit in finals this year. I don't necessarily think we want to see this. Um, and the other thing is the umpire, uh, the, um, the umpires, the umpires just talking too much. Mm. I know Ray Chamberlain loves a chat with players out on the field, but sometimes it's like it just seems like they're he's he's um, officiating an under nines game. The a way bit he patronising, isn't it? It is. I, I don't like it. I'm all for explaining decisions when an um, when a player is frustrated and, and wants to know why a decision went against him or, or something like that. But when you're just almost talking down to players throughout, I don't want to hear him over my in my TV. So no, nah, I had enough of it. But yeah, over umpiring. Thought it was a little bit too much, particularly in the in the Lions Giants game. I like that. Hey, can I add on to one little thing that I'd like to see happen in a couple of years' time or next year? Is um, the last passage of play that uh, Brent Daniels when he kicked that goal, blatant throw. Well, that's the other thing. And, and I'm not saying I'm not blaming the umpire who was clearly blindsided, and that's not his fault. I mean, obviously that was where he was, and that's just how it goes. But gee, I tell you what, surely we can uh, we can get. The boundary umpires paying black and white free kicks like throws, so that Gee, doesn't don't happen. don't tell the old traditionalists that they'll they'll be coming after you with a with a fiery stick. Well, maybe the, <laughs> maybe the day they become full time, that can happen. Yeah, let's move on. And the three votes goes to uh, the three votes this week is ironically going to go to a bloke who never won a Brownlow, but he's probably good enough to win one if it was a, a an award that sort of you know defenders could win or you know if he was a midfielder I guess quarterbacks <laughs> the quarterbacks could win uh, of course it is Luke Hodge who decided to uh, hang up the boots for a second time uh, the weekend firstly I'd just like to commend him on his career and secondly the humility after a loss to just be like nah fellas don't worry about cheering me off this is all about the team uh, I'll just make a private announcement later on I mean Fair enough. He's a he's a champion of the modern game. And Neil, I know you've uh, you've written down some some names here, but where does he sit in terms of the best of the modern era? Well, I mean, I think we we discussed Hodge on a podcast three or four weeks ago when we were looking at the players of the decade. Mm. I think we went our four: Buddy, Buddy, Gary, Gaz, Danger, and was it maybe Hodge? Martin? No, Pendles. 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 But Hodge is I in that discussion. From Hodge to to. Oh, now you say it. Well, I did. Remember, <laughs> you did, I, was, yeah. I did. I was all about. He's been. He might not be in the top thirty players talent-wise of the last decade, but my goodness, when you what look a quarterback. At, when you look at when you look at what he's done, uh, yeah. and I mean, and, and the achievements he has, it's extraordinary. The impact and he's, he's made on two clubs, exactly. And yeah. where he sits, 
you know, in the in the all time greats. He he's a legend of the game. Yep, absolutely. Christian, have you got some stats for us on his career? Yeah, so I've looked at totals again. So just looking at champion data, um, we've been around since '99. So looking at in our system, I just you know looked at everything. So we've recorded the sixth most disposals for him of any player. He's sort of in the top twenty for contested possessions, score involvements. Uh, he's tenth for score launches, sixth of any non ruckman. So the names ahead of him in score launches: Gary Ablett, Sam Mitchell, Joel Salwood, Chris Judd, and Nick Del Sano. Um, and also. Had the fifth most champion data ranking points we've ever, or ever recorded. So, again, the names ahead of him. Brent Harvey, who sort of 400 yep, games, that sort of games. helps him with the totals. Gary Ablett, Adam Goods, Matthew Pavlich, Luke Hodge. Good so, company. I think that those those list of names are all, you know, exactly uh, that. As great good company. as he is, and he's brilliant, I mean, he might not be talent-wise in the top five from that 2001 draft. That's the yeah. extraordinary thing. Well, you were, you were naming some of those score launch players, and, and I think three of them were in that 2001 super draft. I mean, you, you've got a few names there. <laughs> yeah. Well, we were debating, you know, the fact that, that Hodge is retired and, and Ablett may retire, may not. But looking back at that, that 2001 Super Draft, you've got, um, look, at the, these names are just crazy. Judd, um, Hodge, Ablett, Luke Ball, Bartel, Del Santo, Mitchell, Swan, Steve Johnson. Like, the fact that I, I think it's going to go down as the best draft that's ever been had. and Clearly. Uh, I mean, where where do we sit on the best player from that draft? Because the the three names are probably Judd, Ablett, or Hodge. It's got to be Gary Ablett, I think. I think you're right, but go but, Juddy. But gee, it's, it's see Judd three votes. Yeah, there there's some pretty good names. I kind of agree with that. But if I if you look at that and ask me if you were redrafting those players again and you were going to get all of those guys for the next 15 years, which one would you want? I would want Luke Hodge. Yeah, he I would want Luke Hodge up, at he? my club for 15. I know Gary Ablett is the better player, but I just feel like Luke Hodge is captain and you know that the, the bloke you want in your club rooms the, the the strength of that draft so we did a little bit of diving um into that draft when we thought that would maybe discuss hodgy look at some of the names in the in the rookie draft that didn't even get drafted in the in the national draft um mark jamar andrew Carazzo, quinton lynch james podsy adley matthew boyd nathan bock aaron sandlands ben rutten were all rookies that year it's unreal isn't it? amazing handy. pretty handy what a year fair fair year hey um <laughs> fair career too from hodgy Fair career and, and well done to him. Um, as you said, the impact on two clubs, it can't be un- underestimated and understated. Hey, footy tips. Uh, I'm not going to get your certainties and upsets this week, guys, because there are only two games. I'll just ask you uh, for your winners from both games, Jake. Well, I just don't see uh, Geelong getting it done without Hawkins, so I'm going to take the Tigers. But I'm going to go the Giants to get the job done over the Pies. Wow. I think they can pull off an, under a big upset. I really like what I've seen from them. I've been saying all year that they're, they've got the biggest gap between their, their worst and their best. But clearly, they've, they've brought their best the last couple of weeks. And the last time they played Collingwood, which was only about a month or five weeks ago, they smashed them. Have I you know selected the Giants on the basis of DeBoer uh, tagging? Well, <laughs> I tagging do, I do love Grundy. that idea. Yeah, I do. But, I mean, it's either going to be... I mean, if it's not Grundy, it's probably going to be Pendlebury. So, I mean, it's he's going to go to to one of those guys. And we know, if you look at his track record, what he's done, you just think that there's no way this guy's going to have an impact. So, Christian? Yeah, I kind of wish I'd have got fir- gone first and got the oohs, but I was going to go Richmond and GWS as well. I just I feel like there's going to be a, yeah an upset this uh, this week. And again, the only thing for me on GWS is the venue. Mm. I feel like they've got the game style and they're playing as well enough to beat Collingwood. Just hopefully within that first 10, 15 minutes, they look fine on the MCG. Neil, uh, no, I can't I can't see an upset this round. I'm I'm going for the two favourites and and just looking at the Footy Tips database at this early stage, our, our punters agree with us. Seventy seven percent Richmond. Over 23 Geelong, and pretty much exactly the same with Collingwood and the Giants, 78% and 22. So most people are expecting uh, the two heavyweights to go through. Yeah, I'm with you. I'd love to see 
I don't know if I'd love to see it. I'd, I'd, I'd enjoy to see an upset in that second uh, prelim, but I just can't quite see it happening. I if think. it does go to plan and the two favourites win, oh. I mean, Richmond Collingwood grand what, final. What a grand final that's going to be. I mean, geez, <laughs> we're going to have to get out of Melbourne. By the, <laughs> by the time we speak to you next week, we will know who is in the grand final and we will speak to you then. Thanks for listening to the ESPN Footy Tips AFL podcast.